All right, if you will, go ahead and start making your way back to your seats. And we will get started in just a moment. So many new faces that are coming to Redstone. I was telling somebody this morning that I was priding myself a couple of months ago. I was like, I think I know everybody's name now. Well, I don't. There's new people that are coming. So that means we need to get coffee sometime. Thanks for coming this morning. We're glad that you are here. Uh, we're excited about this series in Second Peter. And we're getting ready to open up the Word of God again. And I always pray this every week. And the motivation for it, I kind of elaborated last week, is we're getting ready to hear the Holy Word of God. We spent all of last week talking about the importance of the Word of God. And I just pray again. We step in. We just prayed a moment ago individually. There's things that are happening in our lives. Our minds can sometimes be elsewhere. You know, we can be anxious. We can be, um, you know, thinking about family members that are struggling or financial woes or what have you. And then from my perspective, I don't always trust my words. And I pray that it's the word of God that's what's heard. Anything inspired by the word of God would be received and anything else would just fall to the ground. I'll, I'll trip up. I'll read incorrectly. There'll be some mishaps along the way. Let that stuff just fall to the ground. But I think that the Lord has a word for us this morning. So let's just open up our hearts and pray that it will be received. Let's pray together. Y'all pray with me, if you will. Father, I thank you, Lord, in your grace and your goodness and your love and in your mercy. You have extended this salvation to the Gentiles, to us, as undeserving as we are. Lord, we were at enmity with you according to your word. We were dead, and you've raised us to life. And if there's any understanding that we're going to have of this grand salvation, of this gospel, of this good news, it's going to come through your word. And I pray this morning, oh God, that it would be the word of God that would be elevated. That it would be the gospel that would be elevated. That, would, that people would walk out of here not talking about the sermon itself, not talking about Redstone Elizabeth, but talking about Jesus. Talking about your gospel. Lord, may all of the words fall to the ground, except that which is of you and by you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So we are still in Second Peter. We're going to be here until probably after Thanksgiving. We've been in the don't forget section. We're still in don't forget, but there's this overlap. This morning, we're really going to jump into this don't stop growing section as well. So last week, if you'll remember, we tied the divine power that's available to us. His divine power is granted to us all that we need for life and godliness. We tied that to the word of God, that the word of God was the catalyst for this. So just a, a quick recap, we looked at, we have to hit on, there's a little on button right here, right? You have to hit that. And then this is what we looked at. In the knowledge, this grace and peace comes in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us. And then we were reminded he's given us these great and precious promises. And that through these promises, and we're again talking about the word of God here. That through these promises that we have the ability to participate in his words, not mine, the divine nature. God himself living through people, sinful, broken people. And with as much conviction as I could share, I discussed with you 
just the importance of being in the word of God on a regular basis. Jesus himself says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. John 17, 17. It's the primary means in which God is going to take broken, sinful, selfish people and he's going to work himself in them and sanctify them, set them apart and make them more and more holy. We've spent the first five weeks in four verses. How about that? But today we're feeling ambitious. We're going to hit 11 verses. Can you believe that? I know, right? So we're going to go from uh, verse number five all the way through 15. There's a lot that's here, and you're going to see it as we read this passage together. And in my mind, I was like, oh, we're going to take those, and we're going to break down these qualities and like preach on them each week. And there's just no time for that. But I also don't think it's necessary. I think we can look at what Peter is saying and say, okay, what's he trying to say? How do all of these qualities and these fruits fit into this one theme? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. The focus is going to be on our growth, or if you will, what is our role in living out this salvation? As we jump in, we'll spend a little bit of time looking at what I think is probably the greatest paradox that you see in all of Scripture. The combination of God's power and then our working. So we'll discuss that a little bit. So first off, let's jump into the Word of God. Second Peter chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 5 through 15. It is in the worship of God. It is a lengthy passage. I'll put it on two slides here. Go to your phones. Open up your Bibles. If you've got your Bibles, get your pens and pencils handy. You need to mark it up as we're reading through. Okay? Second Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. Here's the word of God. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he has been cleansed from his former sins. Verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it's right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I'll make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able to at any time to recall these things. So look at the end of the passage. We, we stated this when we did the introduction into 2 Peter. He knows that his time is short. Jesus has told him, you will not be on the earth much longer. And he gives his intent while he is here, while he remains. His objective, he says, is that they would be established. That they would be established in the truth. To the degree, I'm going to remind you, and I'm going to remind you, and I'm going to remind you. So that even after I depart... I know that you will be able to recall these things. 
I remember being at the school at Providence. We taught classically, so there was grammar, logic, and rhetoric. And this grammar level was this stage that little kids are in. And if you've got little kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They're like sponges. They can memorize so much information so easily. And you give it to them over and over and over. And just from osmosis, it'll just enter into their minds. They may not understand it. They may not see how it fits together, but they can memorize poetry and long songs. And then one of these days, they're in 10th grade, and they're like, oh, I remember this. We learned this in kindergarten, and we learned this in first grade, and it can come right back out. That's kind of what Paul is saying. I'm going to give this to you over and over and over and over again so that when you're in that pickle of a situation— and you're trying to trust whether, there, you know, see if there is trust. Do I really believe in God? In that moment, you will be reminded of these gospel truths. And I see in him when he says, I want you to be established in the truth. I see in Peter just a heart of a pastor. He is his just longing that his people would be victorious. I think about this passage in 3 John. He says the same thing similarly. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. No greater joy than those believers who are friends of mine, the people that I love, the people I've have, I have poured into or may be discipled. The goal for John is the same as for Peter, that these individuals would be walking victoriously, that they would be walking in the truth. It's the same goal that we have here for Redstone Elizabethan. It's not that we be a large church. It's not that we have multiple services. It's not even that we be a church planting church. It's that whoever the Lord Jesus Christ chooses in his sovereignty to allow to be a part of this church, that these individuals would hear the word of God. They would begin to understand the gospel. It would take root in them, in you. You would be established in the truth and you would walk victoriously as we're reminded over and over and over of these amazing things that he has done for us. The fact that we have been set free. We're no longer under bondage. We no longer have to try to pay for our sins because Jesus has done that. We need to be established in this truth over and over. That's what discipleship is all about. And that's the motive for Peter at the end of this section. It serves as the foundation for the rest of the passage but if we go back up to the beginning, he actually starts off, well, you can look at it. Look at the very beginning. He says, for this very reason. He starts off and he says, for this very reason. He ends with the heart of the pastor. But at the beginning, he says, for this very reason. Well, what exactly is this reason? And here's what he's saying. This is Jerry. This is not the word of God. But I'm putting it all together. It says, everything I'm about to say to you is tied to what I just said. I reminded you that you've obtained a faith in the gospel by which you received, quote unquote, the righteousness of God. You have received the righteousness of God. I reminded you that through this gospel, through the promises that are found in the word of God of who Jesus is and what he has done, the reminder that he now lives within you and he loves you dearly. And he longs to conform you by his power into the likeness of his son. The reminder that his divine power has granted to you everything that you need for this life and for godliness. You don't need anything else. You don't need anyone else, just him and his truths. And then he says, and for this very reason, this reason encompasses all of that. 
all of these gospel truths. And then he proceeds with this. Look at verses 5 through 7. We'll focus on verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control, steadfastness. I'll come to these in a moment. Steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. He lays out these seven qualities and he says, make every effort to grow in these areas. And I see here one of the greatest paradoxes of all scripture with these three simple words, make every effort. The word being translated here means do your best, be zealous, diligent, and earnest in your attempt to do so. Do your best. Be zealous in the best sense of the word, zealot. Diligent and earnest. Do you feel any of the tension here that I felt when I was studying through this and reading through this? It's like in 1 Peter, we're told on one hand, you have been made holy because of what Jesus has done. And then he turns around and says, be holy, for without holiness, no one will see the Lord. In 2 Timothy Paul gives Timothy this great reminder of the gospel and all that Jesus has done. And then he turns around and he says, flee youthful passions and pursue. There's an active word there, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. He's saying Christ lives within you. His divine power is within you. So show, make every effort, make every show to show that you, you, you are going to give your best, that you're going to be zealous, that you're going to be diligent to let the world know that he is actually within you. The paradox, his divine power, so make every effort. So don't ask me where I get these illustrations from. They just come to me. Christianity is not a Christian version of invasion of the body snatchers. Okay. When you come to Christ, and we all know this, and if you want to read more about this, go look at just Romans 7. Just go spend some time in, in Romans 7. He does not come in and his power just takes over your life. It's not that way. You know that it's not that way. Even after we come to faith, there will still be struggles with temptation, doubt, anger. Um, you know, and we can go on and on. Your, your sins may not be my sins, but these temptations that come to us positionally, positionally, and this is critical, this is key, this is everything that we talked about, and, and Adam read this morning that was in Ephesians 1, positionally, we are in Christ, holy, blameless, without accusation. Because of what he has done, the righteousness of God has been imputed to you. It covers you. When God the Father looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. That's true positionally. But the way that that works itself out with what we call sanctification, it doesn't happen like this. It's not going to be like that. We are saved, but we are being saved over and over. And one day we will be eternally saved. John 15 is another good example of this. In John 15, we are reminded that unless we abide in the vine, he says we can do absolutely nothing. But then he turns around and he tells us to abide in the vine or to remain in the vine. The paradox. Rest and rely on him, 
but then strive to abide in him. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is one of the greatest passages that reveals that salvation is by grace. It's through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God. No one can boast. This salvation, you cannot earn. It only becomes because of what Jesus has done. He hammers that as hard as he can. And then he turns around in verse number 10 and says, now go do the good works that were prepared in advance for you to do. The ones that you should walk in. It's him. It's his grace. You cannot earn it. Okay, I believe. Now what? Get to work. There's work that you're to do. The paradox, no works can save you. It's all him. It's works of grace. Receive this gift and then get to work. James reminds us that without, you know, works, there, there is no faith. They go hand in hand. Or consider Paul's writings in the book of Philippians. He spends the first chapter just praising God for the work that he has done that he has begun in us, that he'll continue in us. It's just this, this great gospel truth that's there, God's gift to us, received by faith. And then he says this in verses 12 and 13. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Look at this. Don't miss this. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God." who works in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. The paradox is God has brought salvation to you. Now work it out on a daily basis as you walk in reverence and awe of this God who not only has revealed himself to you, but he resides within you. It's a holy moment. It's a holy understanding that absolutely must change the way that we live. But that's what's happening here. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7, he says, For this very reason, all of these gospel truths that I gave you earlier, make every effort to supplement your faith. And then he gives the list. With virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection and love make every effort to supplement your faith or to add to supply what is lacking in your faith to finish this saving faith the faith that's necessary for salvation you can't come to christ without faith add to that these things that should accompany him because of his divine power living within you He's saying, in essence, as you're growing in one area, be sure that you're also growing in other areas as well. They should each be increasing. As you can see in this very poorly developed graphic that I did, that I spent way too much time on. As your faith increases, increase, uh, these other fruits should be increasing as well. The thing I'm trying to show here is the interconnectedness to them all. They begin with faith, faith in the gospel, but they're all connected because they're all a part of the person that you're becoming. The fruit that you're bearing as you're conformed more and more into the image of Christ, a process that will continue until Christ comes for us or until we die, whichever comes first. Now, my original intent was to walk through each of these qualities, as he calls them, or fruits, which would have been another seven sermons, 
But I don't think it's necessary. I said it earlier. I think that we can understand what he's trying to convey to us without spending time on each one. However, let's briefly look at each. Virtue. These are your meanings. Goodness. Excellence of character. Moral excellence and acts. You need to be growing in this area. Okay? Knowledge. The gnosis is the word that's used. Full knowledge. Practical knowledge. Really knowing and understanding something or someone. Self-control. Here's a good definition. To control oneself. Proverbs 16 and 25 refers to the value shown in the man who rules over his own spirit. It's temperance. Saying enough. No more. I'm satisfied. To stop and to say no thank you. This ability to say no to good things and to have self-control. Steadfastness. The ability to endure and to persevere. It's this patient endurance that the Lord speaks of to each of the seven churches in Revelation that are marks of his followers, true followers, are going to persevere. Steadfastness will be a part of their makeup. Godliness, piety, reverence, godly living, brotherly affection. The words used here is actually Philadelphia, which is why Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love. It's having an affection for fellow believers and truly caring for them. And then love. This is agape love, the kind of love that God shows us in Christ, a deep, loving affection for someone, charity, concern, interest that you're showing for them. It's hard to actually define agape love, but we know it when we see it, don't we? It's beautiful, and it'll change our lives. Now, I don't want to take liberties into reading too much into the order in which these different qualities have been given to us. But there is this, however, I do see that it ends with love. And then before love is brotherly affection. And I think that, you know, the Lord speaks to this. What are the greatest two commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So I do see that love is the foundation. Galatians 5, 6 says this, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. If we have everything else, great knowledge, great self-control, you know, piety, whatever, but we don't love people, then we're completely missing it because God is love. And if he who is love resides within us, how can we not love as well? Now, let me say this. There is a difference between spiritual gifts and spiritual fruit. Everyone who names the name of Christ, who is a believer, receives some spiritual gift. Some people don't know what their gift is yet. You know, we could do a series on that. And maybe we talked about that when we were in Ephesians, you know, four. But there, there are these different gifts that are here that, that are evident. And sometimes you just have to try different things before you say, oh my gosh, I love that. Or I've got the ability to do this thing that I didn't know was there. Or I've really got a heart for whatever. You can learn your spiritual gift just by trying some different things. But if you have questions about that, let us know. But my point is this, everyone has a spiritual gift, okay? But the fruit of the spirit is not like that. It's not like some people have a fruit, if you, name, you know, uh, if you are a Christian, if you name the name of Christ, the fruits that are evident of who Christ himself is, is living within you, they should all be evident. So, for example, you know, Drew, we, we won't say Drew's got self-control and Russ has got uh, knowledge, Jenna's got 
steadfastness and, you know, whatever, you know, brotherly kindness. We can't say that. So, um, you know, none of us can say, sorry, I don't have the gift of brotherly affection, which is why I'm a jerk most of the time. But I do know that Sam Adams has that gift, so maybe you want to spend more time with him on a regular basis. It doesn't work that way. We don't treat spiritual fruit as though it's a spiritual gift because these fruits, and they're mentioned in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, they represent Christ himself. And the more we are abiding in him, in the vine, and the more that we are being conformed into his image, the more all of these fruits should be evident in our lives. And First Peter says, not only should they be evident, they should be increasing. If you don't see an increase in these fruits over a two, three-year period, then there's something wrong. Okay, before moving on, quick recap. So let's go back and think about going all the way back to verse number two. We spent a lot of time in two, three, and four. Here's a brief synopsis. And these, again, are my words, but they encompass, I think, everything that we've read thus far, and then we're going to continue moving forward. So what Peter is saying is this. The righteousness of Christ has been given to us through the gospel. We all share this same faith and standing before God. You remember that early on. Through belief in the gospel, his divine presence come to, comes to reside within us and live through us as he seeks to conform us into the image of his son, into his, quote-unquote, glory and excellence. And as he does so, our character should reflect this change through more and more virtuous living. The more we grow in knowledge of him and his word and these quote-unquote great and precious promises, the better we know him and know what pleases him. And this knowledge will lead to a life of self-control, having temperance in all things, a life of steadfastness and perseverance through him and his continual presence in our lives, a life filled with his strength, with a constant hope that is tied to belief in his promises, and a life of godliness as he continues to conform us into the image of his son. And these changes will be clearly evident to everyone as we care for our brothers and our sisters and our neighbors, those who simply have a need, faith will grow. And as it does, it will be most notable in the way and extent to which we love. For love itself is the foundation of the Christian faith. That's what the passage is saying. It's a powerful presentation and series of truths, but to drive this point home, he takes another step, and we need to hear this step this morning. So let's move on to verse number 8 through 11. Look at it. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly 
provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If these qualities are consistent in your daily walk as a Jesus follower, if they continue to increase as they should, the world's going to know that you are his. You're going to be just fine. You can expect a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom. But the however is, if these qualities aren't evident within you and within your life, if you're not growing with each of them, then something's amiss. Something's off. You've either forgotten, you've taken your eyes off of the glory of the gospel and who you are in Christ and what he has done, or maybe you don't know him to begin with, which is why he says, confirm your calling and election. You might want to make sure that you're a believer. Because if you're not growing in these areas, something's amiss. Because Christ resides within you by his spirit. And he is in the business of changing lives. The old is gone. The new has come. He's conforming us. He begins a good work in us. Philippians 1. And he, he carries that to completion until the day that he comes back for us. And if that is not happening, if we see ourselves stagnant, I'm the same person that I was 10 years ago. He's saying pretty clearly here, something's wrong. Something's amiss. And that's this tension. It's all him, but you better make every effort to show that he is actually living within you. What does that mean? What does that look like? There's this great passage. It's a hard passage, but this is 2 Corinthians 13. And Paul says this. It encompasses what Peter's saying. He says, examine yourselves. It is okay to take a test. This is not in my notes, but part of my testimony, I was saved. No, I wasn't saved. Let me back up. I was baptized when I was 10 years old, but I was not saved. I did not understand the gospel. And when I got in college, there's no fruit in my life. I was more religious. I went to church more often. I did a lot of religious things, but there was no fruit in my life at all. And I had to examine myself. And I was lacking. And for the first time, I saw myself as a sinner before a holy God. That I, and I knew that I was doomed. But it frustrated the people around me. Because in their mind, no, you were saved. Don't let the enemy lie to you. And I just remember having this conversation with one person after another person after another person. Did you ever think that some of these people that were baptized when they were kids, they did not know what they were doing. And there's no fruit in their lives. Maybe they weren't saved to begin with. That's the most dangerous person to me on the planet is the person who thinks that they're going to go to heaven because of something that transpired earlier in their life, but there's been no fruit. There's no godliness. These fruits are not increasing in their lives. There's no evidence that Jesus lives within them, but I've got my certificate of baptism. It's a lie. And I'm not saying that to try to scare anybody, but I'm saying that to try to scare people. You're in the best possible sense because Paul's saying, examine yourself. Test yourself. Do you not realize this about yourself? Jesus lives within you. He says, unless, of course, you fail the test. And that's what Peter is saying here. If there's no fruit within you, if there's little fruit over time, something's wrong. And it might be that you're just not believing the gospel. At the end of the service last week, Jeff Royce reminded me of this graphic. And I want to share it with you guys. It's actually in your in your worship guides. 
And it's this, this wonderful graphic, and it shows like before we come to Christ, there was this holiness of God that we didn't fully understand, and there was my sinful nature. But after conversion, at conversion, I understand, oh, he's holy, and I am not. I'm actually doomed. I'm in, I'm in trouble. I need a Savior. And that's where the cross fits in. And we get it. And it satisfies us. It meets our needs. We are now saved. And so many of us, after that, we go on to what, we, what is called here adjusting the record. We realize, oh, I've still got struggles. I've still got temp temptations. There's still stuff in my life. And we try so hard to fill in this gap. You see the gap there in that middle cross with our religion, with our good deeds, with our words, with our religious activity or what have you. We're trying to fill in the gap that only the cross can. But, and this is thinking about, you know, Paul who says, I am the chief of all sinners. You wrote two thirds of the New Testament and you're the chief of all sinners. What do you mean by that? What I mean is the more I grow in my understanding of who God is, oh, he's much holier than I realized. I knew he was God, but no, he's God. He's perfect. He's majestic and he's holy. And when I see that, my activities may be better than they once were. Oh, the wickedness of my heart. The motives behind some of my actions. I can do the right thing, but my motives are so selfish. And I want so badly for people to pat me on the back and say, good job. Paul's like, the more I grow as a believer, the more I recognize how broken that I am. Only when we understand the majesty, which is, majesty, which is that last you know, cross. Only as I daily, this is what Peter's saying, when I'm daily reminded of the gospel. It's what Jesus has done. Nothing else. When I can believe this gospel, the cross is the only thing that can fill that void. But we'll try to fill it ourselves if we're not careful. And Peter's like, I know you will. Which is why until I die, I am going to try to remind you that you would cling to the promises of the gospel. And these fruits that you're striving to make sure are evident in your life, that they're confirmation of his call on your life. Confirmation of salvation. So Peter's call is a call to remember, to remember the gospel, to remember the hope moving forward is Christ in me growing me, strengthening me, reminding me, producing his fruits in me and conforming me into himself. He's saying, don't forget and don't stop growing. So if we go back to last week and if we find ourselves in the word of God regularly, but we're still grumpy all the time or negative or condescending or slanderous, or prideful, not loving, not kind, well, then the word hasn't taken effect in our hearts. We have forgotten. We've forgotten that we are saved from our sinful condition, our brokenness, our depravity, that, that we have been saved, not because of anything good that we've done, but because of his grace and his mercy. He's rescued us. He knelt into the pit and he picked us up because he chose to. We are saved and it should change us. We should be the most joyous and loving people on the planet. And if that's not happening, if these fruits are not increasing, then something's wrong. You know, Jesus says you love people that love you and you're good to people that are good to you. 
Now, this is not what Jesus says, but it's a loose paraphrase. He says, so what? Even the Gentiles do that. Even the unbelievers do that. I'm calling you to something greater. I'm calling you to love your enemies. I want you to be kind to people that are not even kind to you. That's an example of the standard because when you can do that, it's evidence of supernatural fruits. This Christ that resurrected from the dead and says, I will return to you. He has come back to us in the power of the Holy Spirit and he enables us to do things that we could never do on our own. It's supernatural fruit. These seven fruits or seven characteristics, they should be growing in us over time. And he may choose to spend more time on one because some of us really struggle with patience as an example, you know, but they should all be growing within us because he's growing himself within us. So we need to examine ourselves. What do I believe or what have I forgotten? And then for some people, as we examine ourselves, to see whether we are in the faith as we test ourselves, as Paul says, we may find that we are lacking. What a glorious thing that would be to recognize, I don't even know him. Because the invitation is there to know him. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You confess your sins, you believe the majesty of the gospel, you receive Christ as your Lord of Savior, and he becomes king, and you follow him the rest of your lives. It's amazing, it's glorious. So it would be great to take the test and recognize that, you're, that you failed the test, because then you can come before him, and he will receive you right where you are, the way that you are. That's the glory of the gospel. He's done that for everyone who names the name of Christ. As we bring today's message to a close just want to go back to his intent peter's intent is for us to see how christ is being formed within us to see if we're regularly remembering the gospel i put some questions in your worship guide you can just look at those questions and prayerfully maybe think through some of those we'll close with the questions but first, just to read this passage one more time, let it sink into our hearts as we examine ourselves. I'll just read verses 5 through 9. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. If these qualities are yours and are increasing that keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever, it's a powerful word, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind. He's choosing his words carefully here, isn't he? Having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Going back to the paradox, to what degree am I making every effort to supplement my faith? Am I doing my best? Am I zealous, diligent, and earnest? Do I desire that Christ would be formed within me? Do I confess my sins often and cling to the gospel? How would I or those close to me rate my growth in the qualities that are listed in this passage over time? Virtue, 
knowledge? Am I growing in my knowledge of the word of God and, and of the gospel? Self-control. Do I have self-control? Do I have temperance in my life? What would the people that are closest to me say? What would the Lord say? Because he's there in those dark moments when no one else is around. Steadfastness. Do I believe in the sovereignty of God and the hope of the gospel to the degree that I can persevere? Am I becoming more and more godly? How about my brotherly affection? Is my faith working itself out in love to the degree that I really care for people? How about love? Just love. Do people, would people look at me in my life and say, yeah, he's full of love. She's full of love. I can tell you this. Yeah, he's a little weird. He's a little whatever. But man, he loves well. He really, really cares for people. These are the things that show that Christ is in us. And then the last question, am I in any way living, especially if these fruits are not evident, as though I'm nearsighted and blind? Have I forgotten that I've been cleansed from my former sins, or have I even been cleansed from my former sins? It's a powerful passage. The paradox is real. The struggle, the tension is real. It's okay. That's the way he intended it to be. Jesus, the risen Savior, who spoke everything into existence, who rose from the dead, says if you'll believe in this truth, this gospel, that he will live within us. We say that so quickly that we don't feel the weight of, of what's being said there. And Peter's saying this Jesus give, has given you everything. His divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness. And if that is not changing the way that you live this life, then you've got to go back to the gospel. You've got to go back to the gospel. In a moment, we're going to take communion. Do you remember why we take communion? It's so that we can remember the gospel. We'll spend a moment in prayer. I ask that you prayerfully just pray these things to the Lord. Where are you? Are you remembering? Are you growing? Do you recognize, listen at this people, do you recognize that all of your sins are forgiven? If so, we should be so full of joy and hope that it can't help but to just exude from us and spread to other people. And if that's not happening, then something's off. We need to remember. We're here this morning to remember. Oh God, give us a heart that is willing to remember. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this passage. My own personal struggles with this passage as I've recognized that there are areas of my life where I have not made every effort. Lord, may each of us be diligent in our struggle with the desire that we be established in the gospel and that Christ be formed within us for your own excellence, not ours, for your own glory and not ours in such a way that we could never take credit because this thing that's happening within us is supernatural. 
It's the living God residing within me, and he's changing the way I think and the way that I live. Oh, God, I pray that you meet everyone that's here this morning where we are at and remind us what we need to be reminded of. Just talk to him yourself for a moment, then we're going to maybe pass the mic. Amen. Amen. I don't even know. Do we have a microphone somewhere, Adam? Okay. Uh, we won't take a lot of time this morning. And if there's no one, then that's okay. We'll move on because I do want to spend some time in communion. But if you're hearing this passage and you have a word of encouragement or a confession, or there's just something that's stirring in your heart and your mind, this is one of the ways that I love watching this body grow together is when we share during this time. So if anyone has a word, Adam Stein has a microphone. was always the awkward silence at the beginning. Okay. Miss Allie. Hi. Um, I was thinking about the passage in John 9 where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees about spiritual blindness when you were talking about it. And it just struck me like he says to the Pharisees, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. And the Pharisees say, are you saying that we're blind? And he says, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. And it was just like, when we were praying, I was thinking about it, that like, yeah. I can't see that I'm blind if I'm blind. Like, I need the Holy Spirit to show me that I'm blind. So I guess for me, like, the question, the last question or application one about like, is there, am I in any way living blind? Like, for me, the answer is like, I have to ask him and mm -hmm. he will show me. Like, I can't see my own blindness. I can't be my own doctor. Like it's yeah. only him who can reveal that to us. Yeah. Amen. Thank you, Allie. Angela. What I was thinking was kind of going along with Allie and this is kind of maybe a silly analogy, but I was thinking about the movie 50 first dates not saying go watch that movie or anything but um basically like this girl can't remember after she she goes to sleep the next day she wakes up and she doesn't remember anything that has happened recently and this guy falls in love with her they get married and every at the end like every morning she wakes up and is watching this movie of their life together mm -hmm. and is being reminded of their life together and I was just thinking about how Christ does that for us through mm -hmm. the scriptures like I wake up in the morning and I have forgotten what he's done for me. Mm. I have forgotten my life with him. And he is gracious enough to remind me and to reach out and say, hey, I still love you. Like, I still want you. I still want this relationship with you, even though you've forgotten all that we've done together, all that I've done for you. And he still loves us enough to open our eyes when we're blind. Yeah, amen. So we've got invasion of the body snatchers. We've got 50 first dates, and the guys can watch Groundhog Day. 
kind of a guy version of similar theme. Okay, Rebecca. Hmm. While you were talking, the this passage in Revelation nineteen seven through eight came to mind. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, for his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And as you're talking, it's like it's our part of our job, our responsibility to make ourselves ready, to make ourselves that beautiful bride for when he comes so that we're presented to him as just clothed in that fine linen, covered with the righteous deeds of the saints. Yeah, amen. Thanks, Rebecca. Okay, get Kathy. Make Adam walk a little bit. I'm seeing a pattern, the ladies have got it this morning. Come on, man. <laughs> Give us a word. Kind of touching on as well what you were saying, Rebecca. Um, Going to Romans 8, um, start in uh, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us for, with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that those who love God, to those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those who whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And so that just reminds me of the end result of this, as well as sort of how the Holy Spirit helps us with this. Um, Jerry, I appreciate how you um, touched on this whole issue of um, just uh, our assurance of salvation, um, that these fruits that the Holy Spirit is producing in us help to confirm for us and for also the people around us to know that we are truly saved, that we are, that we have been, you know, to confirm our calling and all of that. Um, but it's also something that for people who are saved and who are believers and who have a relationship with God, sometimes um, that issue can cause us to doubt especially if we've been um, in a place where we've, you know, backslid a little bit and we're just not producing fruit like we ought to. Yeah. However, it's just a season. Yeah. Um, it can cause us to doubt. But the Holy Spirit um, speaks to our spirit. He confirms with our spirit that we have been called. He's the one that confirms our purpose. It's not us doing it for ourselves. It's the Holy Spirit that does that within us. And I believe that for those who are truly saved, sometimes you don't, you can't just look at last week and how you behaved last week to determine whether you've been producing fruits according to the Spirit. Um, you have to look at a much broader um, s sort of slice of life for that. But the end result, of course, is always to be like the sun. Yeah. We are producing these fruits and we are learning to become more righteous through the power of the Holy Spirit because of the power of the cross and unto the end result, which is to be like Jesus. Yeah, amen. Thanks, Kathy. Yeah, even like in verse number 12, he even talking to, to this group of believers, he says, I, I know you already know these things, right? But we just need to be reminded because sometimes 
we can whatever you know, just be lulled into a sleep and we end up um, walking in ways that are inconsistent with Jesus fellowship do we have somebody else yeah, Russ oh we got two more I don't know about all this speaking. All this. I know. It's weird, isn't it? And I'm just a pilgrim we passing through. Sunday. This is my son-in-law. I'm yeah. Abby's dad. But this verse has always uh, held me up through my entire, entire life. It's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Mm. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll direct your path. Yeah, very good. Thank you so much. Thanks for the, the boldness to speak. And we're glad that you were here this morning. We love your daughter and son-in-law. <laughs> Another good verse, 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2. Uh, to God's elect, strangers in the world scattered throughout here and there, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience hmm. to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. So you have the cleansing of the mm -hmm. blood, you have the sanctifying work of the Spirit, but it's so that we will obey. Yeah. So obedience is important. Yeah, amen. I mean, you can continue that thought, you know, you go to First John, and the whole part of First John is you can't say you love him and not obey him, because they go hand in hand. You know, the, the salvation should lead to, to obedience. It's just so good to hear these, these reflections and these verses because you know what we're doing? You hear what we're doing here? We're reminding one another. Hebrews says to encourage one another every day as long as it's called today. And sometimes one of the ways that we remind one another is this awkward thing where we're like, let's just pass the microphone and see what comes out of people's mouths. You know, it's just beautiful, you know, to me. We're stepping into a time of communion. We're going to do some pre-COVID communion this morning, which I will explain in a moment. But first, let me read the passage to us. Okay, I received from the Lord, this is Paul speaking to the church at Corinth, what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. This is the meal before Jesus died, and he was, he was you know, showing this is what's getting ready to happen, and he, he breaks the bread, and he says, this is my body, you know, the, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God would give himself for us. And he says, every time you partake, you know, understand that this was done in remembrance of me. He says, in the same way, he took the cup and after supper saying, this cup is this new covenant. The old covenant's gone. It's being replaced with this new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And he says, remembrance, you see that? It's right here. We're reminding ourselves. And he says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He died, but he's risen again and he's going to come back for us. And we remind ourselves of part of the glory of the gospel every time we partake. We don't see a mandate that we have to take every week, but we really do love taking every week. And we, we see this, just the visual. We love just pouring out from this chalice into this bowl. And we can see it, this crimson red that's here. And we're reminded that the blood of Christ cleanses us from all of our sins. As the passage was telling us this morning, we are forgiven. We are a forgiven people. There must be joy. It's got to be there somewhere if Christ lives within us. There has to be hope. 
You may not see it. Pray, and maybe God will make it revealed to you. But there has to be hope if we're believing the gospel and if Christ is within us. And if nothing else, if we say, I'm confused, I'm broken, I'm hurt, I'm struggling, but all of my sins are being forgiven, that's okay. Cling to that and that alone. But all of our sins have been forgiven. Before we came into this COVID season, we started in January, and then two months later, we found ourselves worshiping online. And, and then when we came back, we, we started doing some things differently. But we used to do communion where we would have three stations. Guys, if you can, well, you're already, Sam's going to be here. We've got Cameron and we've got Cody. And just prayerfully, just go back to the station. If you want to do it as a family, if you want to do it as a couple, if you want to do it as an individual, we don't care how you do it. But we do love seeing these little pockets of you know, people together. And if you're like, hey, let's invite them into our group, do that as well. But we, what we want you to do is just remember the gospel. If you're like, oh, I have really blown it this week, confess that and then go receive the gospel. You know, but I'm not worthy. Well, that's the whole point of the gospel. The fact that you recognize that you're not worthy, as Ali says, you recognize that you're blind. You wouldn't even know that if the Lord hadn't revealed that to you. Receive that and then cling to the gospel. This is a gospel reminder. After we've come back to our seats, we're going to sing another song of worship and then we'll close. Uh, let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for this communion moment. Remind us of the majesty and the glory of the gospel that holy God would make himself known to sinful man. And Lord, as a church body this morning, we often blow it. We forget so often. We want so hard to, to win or, or, or fight for our own salvation or be approved because of our acts and because of whatever, Lord, and we can't. Lord, it's because of the gospel, but those truths should spur us on to obedience. There should be a striving that's there. And as we struggle with that tension, may we go back to the gospel, receive communion, and be reminded that our hope is that all of our sins are forgiven and that the one who died now resides within us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can go to the stations whenever you want. <laughs>